You're listening to Real Relationships on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Mickey Lavenpel, marriage therapist and relationship coach. And on this episode, Molly won't be joining us. Um, she's off on vacation. But instead, we have our lovely guest, Shara Shitreet, who is visiting us from Modi'in. And Shara is going to be talking to us about her unique relationship with her husband, as her husband has been suffering with MS since early on in their relationship. So we're going to talk a little bit about how she met her husband, when she discovered that he had a MS, and some interesting talking points for how to help people who are out there looking for a relationship and dealing with the possibility of chronic illness in your relationship, in your marriage. So thanks so much for joining us today, Shara. Pleasure to be here. So maybe you could start by just talking to us a little bit about, you know, how you met your husband and the early part of your relationship, and then talk to us about what happened after that. Okay. Well, we met in a very unusual way. And then after that, it was kind of very typical. We got engaged pretty soon after meeting, um, had a, you know, 10-month engagement, planned a wedding, had the wedding, got married. We were among the first of our, um, the current crowd that we were getting married. And then just a regular, you know, moved in, got an apartment in Tel Aviv, started living our life. Um, I was working, he was working, regular and great. Everything was, you know, we had our issues. We always had, uh, you know, certain, it was never, it was never perfect. It was, it was always, you know, sometimes a little uh, difficult. We have very, very different backgrounds. Yeah. Um, he is Israeli. Yeah. I'm American. So he was born in Israel and raised in Israel uh, to parents who immigrated from Morocco and brought up traditional. Uh, I think the family got a little bit more religious over the years. Um, I grew up in the States to modern Orthodox family, parents, Ashkenazi background, but both my parents were born and raised in America. Um, in fact, one of my grandparents were born and raised in America. So, you know, kind of entrenched in the whole Ashkenazi, modern Orthodox American way of life. Um, my grandmother actually made Aliyah when I was six months old, uh, various family members since then. And I met Aliyah in the nineties and then met my husband in 1999. We got married in 2000. So the first couple of years, we're just doing the, you know, newly married thing for two years or so. Uh, and then I was probably was pregnant with my first, let's say this is about 2001, where on a, it was Tanit Esther and my husband was, we were all fasting. Um, and my husband had this weird eye thing where his eyes kind of went in two different directions and people started getting very concerned. Uh, we thought maybe it was some sort of symptom from fasting. Uh, we didn't really know what was going on at all. Went to the doctor, sent us to an optometrist, who sent us to a neurologist, who sent us, you know, all around and did all kinds of different testings. And he was diagnosed with what looked like, they wouldn't give us definitive diagnosis, but it was uh, the early stages of MS. Mm-hmm. Um, How long did it take from the time that you saw his eyes going funny on Tanya Dester till the actual diagnosis? You know, actually not that long, I have to say. Um, I have read subsequent stories of, and heard subsequent stories of people who took years for a diagnosis because symptoms of MS can be so strange and sound so strange to uh, doctors that a lot of times uh, they're attributed to all kinds of different things, mental illnesses, etc. Um, but pretty, I have to say, I think we're pretty lucky living in Israel because first we're taken seriously. Second, I don't know, they just got it done like, you know, one, two, three, and it was pretty quick. 
Uh, they wouldn't give him 100% definitive, and he, they didn't start him on treatments right away. Um, it was still very early. He could, you know, look back in hindsight, obviously it's 2020, and he could you know, kind of point to different symptoms that he might have had earlier, but that was pretty much the, you know, the the clincher, the whole eye thing, which he never had again. The whole the eye issue never popped up again. So do you remember, I know this is going back a long time, you've been married for what, 16? 18 years. 18 years now, right? Yeah. So you've been married a long while. Um, could you remember what it was like for you? You know, just early, you're so young early on in your you marriage. Know, I was in my mid to late twenties. Um, the wow. only thing I knew about MS was the MS readathon when I was growing up and we would have to read those books and on the inner jacket, there was, you know, the MS, uh, there was like a dog with a magnifying glass and the that's all I knew. We didn't know anything else. Um, really, you know, I had no, I had no idea. Obviously, Google became my best friend and mm-hmm. I started looking up online and seeing what, what, what it meant. What did MS mean for us? And it still didn't make any sense. You know what? We still have a hard time grasping it because it changes all the time and it change has changed so much throughout the past 18 years that we've been married. Um, and since diagnosis 16 years ago, a lot has changed. The beginning was very easy to be in denial and kind of pretend that like, okay, you had this one symptom and then maybe you had some other what were the early kind of, can you tell us about what, what were the earlier symptoms? What were some of the hardships early on when you first got the diagnosis? Well, I was pregnant with my first, and my husband would come home from work. And I, after I had the baby and I stayed home with the baby, you know, he'd come home and I'd, <laughs> I'd be waiting at the door to pass him off the baby and kind of like, you know, <laughs> throw him the, the, the baby bundle. And he would just lay down on the couch and fall asleep. Yeah. And I get angry. I get really upset. People without MS do that apparently well, too. Right. <laughs> they don't even have an excuse. He actually right. had an excuse. So, you know, I, I'd be up one. all night with a baby. I'd be nursing the baby. I'd be dealing with the baby all day long. And then I expected him to come home and maybe, I don't know, change clothing and take a shower and, and refresh himself, but, you know, take over. And he couldn't move. He couldn't move. He was working his couch, full job? Sleeping. He was working his full job? Yes, he was was, uh, an architect and a construction project manager. And he was working, totally working his full-time job. And no one said otherwise. No one told him not to. Um, And at the time, there really was no reason for him to stop. And it was several years until he he had to stop working. So he's still running. He was still going to the gym. He was still – he really pretty much – was fine. But he had what was called relapsing remitting MS, which is, you know, you'd have some sort of relapse or some sort of attack, um, mild or not so mild. And then after that, it would kind of go back to more or less a baseline normal, you know, way of living. And then you'd kind of go along and have some sort of other, you know, relapse and some other symptom would pop up and then it would kind of like die down a little bit. Now what he has after several years of, of MS, not everybody does this, but he has moved on to what's called secondary progressive MS. So which means the past 10 years or so, you've seen a marked difference in his baseline normal. And in the past six years or so, it's really, I mean, he's really, he's, you know, he's in a, he's in the weird wheelchair. He needs help. He can't stand up by himself. He can't, he's feeling his hands and his arms aren't working as much as they used to, um, yeah, swallowing issues and, and, you know, toileting and, and I mean, the, the fatigue is kind of ancillary at this point. It's, it's, he's in constant pain. 
there are many, many, many symptoms. It's not even symptoms. It's just it's he's he's sick, he's disabled, and he's you know it's a chronic illness that's getting it's degenerative. It's getting worse and worse. So how long would you say you've been living with chronic illness the yes. way that it is now? Um, where we can't ignore it. <laughs> we haven't been yeah. able to ignore it for the past I would say seven years or so. Wow. Uh, we made Aliyah six years ago, and he was not walking with a cane yet. Um, it was getting more and more difficult for him. He wasn't you know really um, running. He wasn't running anymore. He wasn't um, at full capacity. But my husband's full capacity was always way more than anyone could really <laughs> could really handle. But once after we met Aliyah, I'm not you know saying there's a connection, but <laughs> stress does have a lot to do with um, symptoms getting worse. It's no longer symptoms or a relapse or an attack. It's more you know each attack kind of took away. His mo- a lot of his mobility added more pain, um, added more to his daily life, uh, took away, I should say, from what he was actually capable of doing. So four or five years ago, he started walking with a cane and then he moved on to a walker and then he moved on to a scooter and now he has a full on wheelchair. Um, and do you have help to, at home? Do you have an assistant? Does he have a carer? So we currently do not have help at home. It's very complicated. Um, the system is very complicated. He's not at an age where he's automatically assigned a caregiver by the health system. Uh, what it is is that he gets a stipend. And from the stipend, we're supposed to then use that for, you know, whatever, whatever assistance. But, you know, it, it's, a, it's very complicated. It's very – it consists of a lot of different components, meaning part of it is psychological where my husband finds it very difficult to receive help and use the help that he's – he has rights to receive. Um, finding someone to come in. We also need somewhere to house that person and the whole foreign worker thing itself. But a lot of different rules and complications. Sure. Currently, that's something that we're working on. Given your whole experience with, with living with a man that you love who has chronic mm-hmm. illness, what sort of advice would you give to somebody who's out there dating, <laughs> looking for love and thinking, oh, I need this and I need that and all that sort of thing? Right. Well, I mean, obviously, if I'd started out, um, you know, it's it's not on my checklist of mates, you know, people who are looking for, I wouldn't say like looking for someone with a chronic illness. It's not, not something I would, I would advise. But I think the, the biggest... But in terms of dealing with the surprise of it. Surprise of it. So the biggest takeaway here is really you, you can't plan. God, you know, you plan, God laughs. Um, you can look for X, Y, and Z in a possible mate, but you can't, you're not guaranteed a thing. Um, and that speaks to almost everything in a relationship and a marriage. There's, you know, things come out after you get married, health wise, all kinds of different, you know, reasons. Um, and there's no guarantees in life. So, you know, if you're, if you're discounting someone based on, some sort of chronic illness or disease or disability. Um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily discount that person, but there's a lot to learn, there's a lot to know, and there's a lot to deal with. In right. our current situation, MS happens to affect every every aspect of life, of every aspect of relationship, every aspect of you know family life, of personal life, of professional everything. It's a lot. It's definitely a lot. I've also learned a lot about being in a relationship because of it. There's a lot that you kind of, you know, there's a like lot what? you excuse. Well, in the beginning, you know, we, we have so, such different backgrounds and there's so many differences and there's so many obstacles. Um, it was almost a miracle that we even got together and got married. Um, the way we even met, the way, you know, it just our worlds colliding type of thing. Um, and a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of hurdles to, to overcome. And I found my I found myself as the disease progressed, I would say, kind of um, forgiving a lot of things that 
one a regular couple would not necessarily forgive or let go. That sounds like um, it says um, a lot about you, because some people wouldn't let go. Some I people guess would say so. no. I mean, this is know, important to me. Friends, they fight about fight with their husbands about things like you know they don't the, the, your husband doesn't close the toothpaste cap or put the seat down or you right. know wash the dishes right away. All kinds of different silly things. Yeah. And to us now, I, they're silly. They sound ridiculous. And I and I understand when my friends complain about these things. I get it. Like if not, you know, their complaints are legitimate. It's just that with perspective <laughs> comes wisdom. Yes. And, you know, being able to compare what once was and what we had and all the silly, ridiculous fights, the things we used to fight about and pick at each other and try to change the constant need to try to change the person um, yeah. into what you think or what fits your vision of what your mate should be or should be acting like or expectations you might have. Expectations can can throttle a marriage. Yeah. Expectations of the other person can just, you know, it can it can ruin you. It can ruin you, it can ruin your relationship. It, it's, you know, the death of every relationship, I would say, if you have, yeah. if your expectations are skewed. And I would say that that with these, the, the chronic illness, with uh, with all these issues, is that you, you develop, a, you know, a hierarchy of what's important to concentrate on and, you know, pick at or 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 work on, I would say. Yeah. Um, and then there's just all the other things are just ridiculous, <laughs> just ridiculous, like just gravy and just ignore. One of the things that I just want to point out that you, you talked about was the fact that, you know, sometimes people are very um, reluctant to go out with somebody because they might have some sort of illness, like let's say diabetes or mm-hmm. some sort of gastrointestinal things. There's so many Jewish things that we have walking around yeah. here. There's no shortage. And so many people say, oh, I can't live with that. I can't live with that. But the thing is, there's so many illnesses that will crop up. You know, can you live with someone who has terminal <laughs> cancer? Can you live with someone who dies suddenly of an aneurysm? Can you deal with all these sorts of things that do sadly come up into people's worlds? And what you're saying, I think, is that we really need to build up our hardiness as, as yeah. a, as we a have society. To build up our grit. <laughs> we have to work yep. on our grit. I couldn't agree more. Our scrappiness, you know, and yeah. also I think that people, I know that people are way, way, way more capable of dealing with what life throws at you than they think they are Um, or what you think are your hard lines and your no goes and your no way am I going to ever deal with X, Y, or Z. Um, Listen, when we got married, my husband did everything. He cooked, he shopped, he cleaned, he served. He he was a giver and I was more of a taker. Gary Chapman wrote a book called the five languages of love where he goes over and it's, it's actually fascinating. There are different types of people in every relationship and then they're givers and they're the takers. They're the people whose language is, you know, the gift giving or the service providing. So my husband was more of a, um, a service, service. provider. Um, he showed his love by, you know, fixing the car, making sure the tank was full, making sure you know, everything in the house was fixed and built and this, and, you know, just, you know, he ran, he ran, he ran the, the, he paid the bills and the spreadsheets and everything that really needed. And, you know, I took care of the kids education and we had a good distribution of, um, of efforts in the household, but because he can't, be in his service providing role. And I, it, the tables have, def, have for sure flipped in our case. And I was more of the, you know, Saturday night, I wouldn't want to clean up from Shabbat dinner. That's, you know, from the meals over Shabbat, I just kind of want to put on my feet and watch TV. And he would say, he'd be the one like, you know, sure, you got to do this. And he would start and he'd be the one to, I, he would, it would always initiate. And he was more of the grown up, more of the adult. I felt like I was more of a spoiled, you know, he would take care of me. And that was the role. And the role has completely 
switched. How did, how did you do that to go from one role it? to a completely different role that you never really wanted to sign up for? Right. Well, first of all, I can't relate to people who have been in an accident where from one minute to the next, you're one person and the next minute you're completely, it's not this case, this case where the, the disease has, has, has evolved and our, our roles have evolved and changed along with the you know, progression of a disease. Um, and it's been a very gradual process. Uh, so I can't even imagine, you know, how someone deals went from one day to the next or from one minute to the next, they're, they're thrown into a completely new role. Um, I do feel like I've had a complete change in every, my, our entire life and the way I approach living and life and handling things. Um, and I know, you know, I'm stronger for it. I know that I can handle way more than I thought I could handle. People think I'm strong. I'm a hero. I'm, the, you know what? I'm just doing what I need, what I have to do. There's no, I don't see any heroism in it. I don't see, you know, I'm just doing what I have to do to keep going and to put one foot in front of the next live minute by minute, moment to moment. Um, it's hard to plan really into the future because we're not exactly sure how things will look. We just uh, made a bar, a bar mitzvah a couple months ago and uh, there's this whole element of, well, is my husband going to be up to X, Y, or Z part of it? Or is he even going to be able to get up that day and go to the bar mitzvah? And thank God, you, you kind of pull your kohot together, you pull your strength together, and you get through it and you do it. And um, and you get a lot of help from your friends, don't you? Do you have a lot of a great, loving, yeah. supportive community. Yes, thank God. Thank God. Thank God. That's, that's where living in a community to. is really helpful. Yes. My yeah. biggest piece of advice is learn to accept help. Great. Learn to accept help. And there are Excellent. people out there who you, you, I can't, I, I don't understand these types of people. God love them. They're amazing. But people I don't know who've just fallen from heaven, basically to say, here I am. What can I do? And not even what can I do? Here's what I'm going to do for you. And just took on that role, even though we didn't know them. They just have this in them that they need and some sort of need to be that malach who came, you know, from, wow. from God to help us out. Beautiful. Um, and, you know, instead of questioning it, instead of muddling over it or, or, or being uncomfortable with it, you just kind of have to swallow your pride. And for my husband, that's the hardest. I think that's the, been the hardest part for my Moroccan giver, giver husband, you know, my macho manly husband to be able to accept help um, and the change in his life and the role that he's needed to take on and to do so much less, uh, it's been, that's been the most difficult for him. So accept help, learn to forgive yourself, learn, um, that you're human and you're doing your best and you know, you're not gonna be perfect. You're going to be great. I don't know what, what else can I tell well, you? The I other thing you had mentioned, the other thing yeah. you had mentioned is you're looking for a support group. You feel like that would be really helpful for you to be with other partners, uh, spouses of Correct. people suffering with chronic illness. So that was something you, you wanted to try to create or find. Right. So would you like right. to talk so a if anyone out there that? knows of yeah. any that already exists, otherwise I'm going to go ahead and create and create my own. And it's really for spouses who are dealing with degenerative diseases, not something that you know anyone's going to recover from any time in the near future or at all. Um, and I'm not talking about cancer patients. I'm talking because they have wonderful support systems. God bless. You know that's amazing. I'm it's happy different. for them. I feel like. Spouses who are dealing with, specifically wives who are dealing with, um, with husbands and you know fathers of their children who have gotten worse and worse, and the roles have completely changed. I feel like there's a, la a lack of that. 
So if any of you guys are out there listening to this who can relate to Shara's situation, who are in Shara's situation, please feel free to email us at realrelationships at jewishcoffeehouse.com. If you have any questions for Shara or for us about how to get the support or help that you need about dealing with chronic illness, please email us. If you have any comments, questions, or ideas for future topics, please feel free to email us. And if you'd like to contact me personally, you could contact me at www.mickylavinpel, M-I-C-K-I-L-A-V-I-N-P-E-L-L.co.il. Thank you so much, Shara, for being on the show. You've been a fantastic guest. Thank you for having me. We hope to see you in the future and hear good news from you. Thank you. This has been Real Relationships on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. Subscribe to this and other great podcasts at jewishcoffeehouse.com, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iTunes. And please go to iTunes and rate and review us. It will help us a lot. Real Relationships is a production of jewishcoffeehouse.com.